Welcome to Harvest Valley Worship Center's Sermon of the Week. You can discover more about our church, pastors, and special guests at hvwc.com. We hope that you are blessed by today's message. This is week four in our series through the book of Joel. Um, We did an introduction to the book of Joel where we laid out um, kind of the, the history and when it was written and, and what was happening at the time, okay? Um, and um, that will relate a little bit into our talk today, um, just kind of the setting. And we know that this was, um, <clears throat> this was during the, the reign of the kings, right? Um, we know that um, there had been, uh, there was a couple generations after Ahab and Jezebel, um, and so we just know that, that there was a lot of craziness happening in regards to the kingdom um, during this, when this um, prophetic book was written. We also know that there was a literal locust plague that had come through and demolished um, the, the nation of Judah, which is the southern kingdom. Uh, when, the, when the kingdom of Israel was split in half, Judah is the southern kingdom. And a plague of locusts came through and just devoured all the, devoured everything. It devoured the food, it devoured all the plants, it devoured livestock, it devoured, I mean, just like everything was, was dead when the when locusts left. So um, with that, we see kind of an arc happening, uh, some things happening throughout the book um, here. Um, and we see chapter one describing the devastation, okay? that the land was laid waste. But then uh, my first message was called feel the pain. And, and we have to learn how to mourn sin. We have to learn how to mourn sin. We have to learn how to, how to repent and how to allow the destruction and the devastation of sin to break our hearts. So often we don't actually t- see people turn away from sin because they've never seen the full weight of it, because we don't want to make them uncomfortable. Well, sin's uncomfortable. It's ugly. It is nasty, and it is ruining our community. There is devastation because sin has run amok. All right. So then we stepped into this place of what is repentance and how do we repent? Right? We gotta learn how to repent. And, and in order to repent, we've gotta come back up to the places that God has established for us. Right? Because the re is go back, pent means top. Right? Repentance isn't about just whipping yourself and feeling guilty and feeling bad and full of shame. That might motivate you to change some things. Let's be real. Right? Like, I don't like how that feels. But so then we, you know, we don't like how it feels. We don't like the way it it makes us, you know, handle life or whatever, you know, the way that everything's happening. We don't like it. So we choose to make a change. Well, the making a change is called repentance, right? And so God God laid out some things and all of these are on YouTube. You can just go back and and go to the the HVWC Media Vault and you can look that up and, and find that. They're also in our emails every week, so you can find those messages are online. So, <clears throat> we have to be able to 
not just repent on behalf of our own sin, but we have to learn how to intercede in repentance on behalf of the land, on behalf of what's been going on in our community. And that was really the focus of my last message in Joel is how do we intercede in repentance for the sake of the land, right? Now, we know that when we allow repentance to have its way in our hearts, as we align with God's hearts for the land and for the people of this community, God will transform the, 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 the face of the region. He will transform what the region looks like when we actively engage in what he's asking us to do in this region. When we partner with God's heart and we partner with his process, it is not works. God asks us to do a lot of things, amen? But it's not earning us anything. He's already given it all. And he's saying, will you partner with me to step into this thing that I have for you? Okay. And then what's really good is I partner with him and he gets all the glory. I'm not doing this. Oh, look at what I did. No, he gets all the glory. He gets all the praise. Why? He's the one who's moving things and he's giving us the honor, the privileges to come alongside him and, and be co-partners in this amazing, amazing walk together. It is a divine partnership. And he asks us to partner with him because he wants to move some things through us, not just do things to us. Now, today's passage is entitled, God's Zeal Creates Divine Order. God's zeal creates divine order. Now, God will set things in his divine order. And in fact, he is zealous to set things right. So we, we've talked about repentance in, in, in the scriptures. We did all of chapter one so far, and then we went all the way through chapter two, verse 17. Today, we're gonna focus on verses 18 through 24. That will be where we land today. Um, and we're gonna look at God's response to healthy repentance. What does God do when there is, when there is a change of heart in, the, in his people in the land? When his people have a heart shift, what does God do, right? And so we get to see a bit of the pattern, and I believe there's some promise in here that we can hang our hat on. There's some promise in here that we can say, yes, Lord, I'm coming into agreement with repentance and I'm coming into agreement with what you wanna do in the land so that we can fulfill the thing that you've set this land apart to do. Okay, all right, with that, I'm gonna start, but we're gonna, we're gonna pray. And when we pray today, we're praying, we're reminding ourselves of the devastation of sin. We are reminding ourselves of repentance. We have to posture our hearts in humility to move forward. We cannot get bolstered and in feeling entitled because we did with that repentance thing once. We have to, we, whenever we see sin, it should devastate us because it, it, it breaks the heart of the Father so much so that he came and died to fix it. Guys, we don't, I don't think we grasp the weightiness of it. So Father, we come before you right now and we just look 
around us and we see so much anguish, pain, and heartache. And God, our heart is to see your goodness flow into it. So Father, our hearts are broken over sin. We're saddened by the weight of it. We're saddened by the, the, the horrible effects of it in physical bodies. We're saddened by the, the horrible effects of it in families, in abuse, in addiction, in infidelity. And Father, I ask in Jesus' name that you would give us your vision that, that, that allows us to be broken over the sin in our community not for the sake of shame, not for the sake of judgment, but for the sake that your heart would be felt, your love and your compassion would burn in us for this community, that we would catch the compassion that sent Jesus to the cross. Jesus, we're grateful that you did it. We're thankful that the price has been paid and we step into alignment with your divine order that when we turn from our wicked ways, you would heal this land. So we're asking God that you heal. Heal, heal, heal. And I thank you that you're zealous for it. And we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So verse 18, I'm going to read this whole section and then we're going to pick it apart a little bit. Um, but before... The I do that, I wanted to share about a little bit of my story in regards to um, divine order. The, in 2005, I was living in Portland, Vancouver area, struggling really bad with um, alcohol and some other addictions. Um, and God, like God had put a call on my life from a very young age. Like I had people telling me I'll be a great pastor someday when I was like 12. Okay, grew up, my dad got saved when I was two. Um, During my parents' divorce, my dad got saved and uh, he got saved in Tacoma Life Center, which is an Assembly of God church there in Tacoma. I think it's been renamed again. Um, And so he he ended up, um, my my dad became on fire for the Lord um, and uh, he was an MD and he was in the military. He was in Tacoma for a while. And then uh, he ended up down in San Francisco in the Petaluma Bay Area. Uh, he was, the, he was uh, um, at the Presidio there before they shut that down. Um, and so my dad was my spiritual influence growing up. Uh, I spent half of, my, half of my time with my dad, half of my time with my mom until, really, until school started. And then I was with my mom during school and my dad during the breaks. Okay, my dad lived in Salem, Oregon, settled in Salem, and my mom moved to Spokane. So most of my childhood is right, always been here in the Northwest. Okay, I'm, I'm a Northwest kid. It's just who I am. I love it here. Uh, I don't want to go anywhere else. This is, this is home. Um, one, of the, one of the things that happened, though, was that um, I, I had had encounters when I was pretty young with the Lord. I'd had encounters in junior high, and I'd had visions I might even experience uh, like being slain in the spirit and some different things at this amazing uh, youth camp uh, in, in uh, Oregon, Assembly of God Youth Camp there. Um, and so I'd had these experiences um, and yet my brokenness really was in front of me. Uh, and I never actually dealt with any of the brokenness in me. So even though I'd encountered God, I never changed any of my life. 
I never fully gave my life to Christ, right? When I was young, just didn't do it. So I had great head knowledge. I had a good understanding. Um, and yet, you know, uh, when I went into high school, um, I, to please my dad, when I was with my mom, there were no structure around church. Like she was, she did not, she was not really uh, pursuing God at all. And was like, we're not doing the church thing. We're definitely not going to that charismatic church um, down there. We're definitely not doing that because your dad's crazy. Um, so, so what we ended up doing is I, I said, okay, well, what kind of church? And so she tried to find any church that was against the Pentecostal movement. Um, so we went to a John MacArthur church plant in Spokane. Um, and, and so I did that during high school to make my dad happy because my dad was like, Chris, if you just do one thing, just go to church, right? I'm like, okay, I'll go to church. And so, um, and it's just word, 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 which is fine, right? It's good, like get in the word, we need the word. Great, but there was no power. One of, the, one of the things that ended up happening is that when I was, uh, I, people could, again, see the leadership call in my life and I'm, I'm in the youth group and they want to make me a youth leader and at the same time, I'm, I'm totally two lives. Two lives. Like addicted to pornography and, um, and even tobacco and, and like chew and, and some alcohol here and there when I was, you know, 18. Um, and then at the same time, I'm trying to be a youth leader. Doesn't really work that way, right? Because my heart wanted to pursue God, but I had nothing internally to give me anything to say no. I just went by my, by whatever I was feeling. And when pressure came on, I'd always look for an escape valve. So, this is through high school. Um, and then I start dating a gal. And of course, you know, I'm in a relationship and um, I had dealt with some sexual trauma as a kid. And the, the sexual side of my life was all messed up. Uh, I end up um, um, getting together with my girlfriend. We get pregnant and I'm supposed to be a youth leader. We're both youth leaders at the church. She gets pregnant. And in that moment, um, you know, basically doors were shut on, on every opportunity to move forward for me in that community. It was like, psh, done. It was a good thing that the doors were shut because I was two-faced and they could see it. Well, actually the fruit is in your behavior. Oh, what? That's weird. So, so... I, we get married. We have two amazing children, Bailey. Many of you know Bailey. And then Spencer, my son. So Bailey's now 24 in April, right? And then um, Spencer's 21. So we have, we have Bailey and Spencer. And then a couple of years later, I'm, I'm now working in restaurants. Um, of course, I have a leadership gift. So I'm bussing tables and now I'm the head of the bussers and I turn 21 and they're like, okay, we're gonna have you bartend. So I'm bartending, which is kind of a leadership position in restaurants. If you know bartenders, they're kind of like, they're a, they're a step above the servers. They can do everything a server can do plus, right? So I immediately go from serving to bartending and then I'm, I'm in restaurant management. Uh, at 21 years old, I'm managing a major restaurant chain um, in Spokane. And of course I'm, drinking and doing all this stuff. And I completely like, I'm like, forget Jesus and forget the Lord, forget all that, because I clearly can't pull this off. I, I can't be a Christian and. 
So I'm just forget the Christian, I'm just and. You know, so I just made, made the choice and um, ended up getting divorced. Um, my ex-wife, Emily, and I uh, stayed very, uh, as congenial as we could be for the sake of our children, which was really a blessing that she was willing to do that. Um, I ended up doing a sales job in Portland. I did a season of crabbing in Alaska, like deadliest catch crabbing. I was on a fishing boat there for a season. And then I come back and I moved to Portland um, and a bunch of crazy stuff happens there. But then at the pit of a huge argument with my fiance after spending all of my money um, drinking and partying essentially, and she's kicking me out of the house, my dad calls me. Chris, um, I, I was just praying and the Holy Spirit told me to call you. Do you need a place to stay? I'm getting kicked out of our house. Actually, dad, I do. Thanks for calling. I'll be there in a little bit. I'm gonna gather some stuff. It took me four hours to get there because I was a drunk driver the whole way down I-5 and I stopped at every bar I could think of. I'm lucky to be alive. It was ugly. I, I, you know, maybe that's just my experience, but I, I, you know, I know that many of us have experienced something similar to that. So in that moment, <clears throat> I go down with my dad and he's like, listen, you can crash here. I got some work around the house. You can paint the house. You can do some stuff around here, but you got to just come to church with me. Fine. It's the same church I grew up in, guys. My dad went to that church for 28 years. So I knew the pastors. I knew everybody on the staff. I mean, it was a small, tight-knit group that for whatever reason could never get bigger than 40, right? Just, they just did life together. It was just them, Right? And it was funny because every time somebody come in with some vision, suddenly they had a Jezebel spirit <laughs> in the church. It was funny, you know, like it was one of those churches like, uh, oh, you know, oh, oh, outsiders, bad. So it was, it was kind of funny. Um, sweet, sweet people. And they, they actually did an altar call on a Sunday after I moved down there and, and um, um, the spirit of the Lord was on me and I stepped out in the aisle and gave my life to Christ. On a Sunday, I was baptized in the Holy Spirit, speaking in tongues the following Wednesday. And um, it took me years to work out my addictions. It took me a long time. It took me a long time with the love of the Father to realize that he loved me enough that I could just turn to him in my weakness and my pain instead of turn into other things. <sighs> so when I moved Right after I got saved, I realized like I spent a summer taking care of my grandmother who has dementia because I just had to get out of Dodge, um, which was a horrible decision. <laughs> it was really bad. It was not a good summer for a new believer to be isolated and alone with a crazy lady <laughs> who dealt with anger issues. And um, yeah, it was just not like I loved my grandmother, um, but it was difficult. So then I come back, um, I, did a, I did about eight months in a, a kind of a recovery type house um, in Sweet Home, Oregon. We actually lived inside the Assembly of God Church. Um, there were four of us that lived in um, this converted choir 
uh, choir rooms that were behind. I don't know if you've seen the old A-frame churches, but behind the baptismal was two huge rooms, two stories of rooms. Um, and so we actually, all the four of us lived in there, and um, um, I lived there and was getting some mentoring and disciple. It wasn't the healthiest place, but it was good enough to get me out of my cycle right, and start me on a different path. But I realized I needed to be up here because my ex-wife had moved to Sandpoint with the kids, um, and I needed to be a father here. And so I packed up everything, moved up here on a Thursday. I interviewed at Staples on Friday, and I started work at Staples on the following Monday. Um, I had done extensive sales when I was in Portland and just received a lot of favor at Staples. Um, I became their highest paid staff person other than a manager, like within like six months. Um, and then I got hired out into the mortgage industry. A guy came in and bought a bunch of equipment and was like, that was the best experience I've ever had, spending $10,000 on computers, and I'm smiling, like, what's happening? Come work for me. So I ended up going to work for him um, and um, started in the mortgage industry here in Sandpoint um, because I needed to be, I need, God was asking me to put divine order in my life. And that meant I had to move. That meant I had to make some major changes to put divine order in my life. If repentance was real, then I had to follow what God was asking me to do. I, I wanted to share that, and we'll share a little bit more of God's restorative power from my story next week. But this week, I just want to say, listen, I moved up here in uncomfortable circumstances. When I moved up here, I didn't have a dime. I had a car that somebody gave me. And you know what? I lived with my ex-wife's parents for eight months. Awkward. <laughs> but when God asks us to put things into divine order, it does not mean that we're comfortable. It does mean that as he's putting things into order, the things that have been out of order, they, they start to realign and there's tension and there's pressure around the realignment. But then when you actually follow and pursue God and everything starts getting into alignment, you can begin to see abundance begin to flow. I started, I got connected here, I was getting mentoring. Trust me, it wasn't perfect. But man, God started to smile on some things. That's when a guy comes in and he hires me and I basically, probably six times my income in a week by taking this new job. Like, I mean, just God just boom, 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 just start moving things, okay? And we'll talk a little bit more about what that, what that looked like, but um, I just felt like I needed to share my story a little bit because after repentance, God wants to put things in order. Part of repentance is putting things in his divine order. That doesn't mean you get to keep doing the old things that you always did. It requires something different, something new. I don't care how many times you've been around the mountain, God might want to upgrade you. And we have to step into his divine order, and he is zealous to push us into divine order. All right, let's get in the word. I felt like the backdrop was needed. And I don't even really know why I felt like I needed to share my story. 
because there's lots of great examples out there, but I felt like I needed to just share a little bit of that because I believe that God is breaking us into a new, just a whole new level of not just openness or honesty or that or transparency or vulnerability. Like those are all things that are, are good things that we need to step into, but there's just something powerful that God is doing about just being real. It's okay to struggle, people. It's okay to have hard times. It's okay to be at wit's end. It doesn't mean that you're not performing well enough for God. Let's read the scriptures. Verse 18, I'm reading out of the New King James Version. Then the Lord will be zealous for his land and pity his people. The Lord will answer and say to his people, behold, I will send you grain and new wine and oil, and you will be satisfied by them. I will no longer make you a reproach among the nations, but I will remove far from you the northern army and will drive him away into a barren and desolate land with his face toward the eastern sea and his back toward the western sea. His stench will come up and his foul odor will rise because he has done monstrous things. Fear not, O land, be glad and rejoice, for the Lord has done marvelous things. Do not be afraid, you beasts of the field, for the open pastures are springing up, and the tree bears its fruit. The fig tree and the vine yield their strength. Be glad then, you children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God, for he has given you the former rain faithfully, and he will cause the rain to come down for you, the former rain and the latter rain in the first month. The threshing floors shall be full of wheat and the vats shall overflow with new wine and oil. Point number one today, God's zealous to remove shame. God's zealous to remove shame. It says there in in verse 18, it says that, the Lord will be zealous for his land and pity his people. The word pity there means compassion. He's gonna be compassionate towards his people. This word pity is very interesting. It's used um, in terms of the, after Saul died and Jonathan had a son named Mephibosheth, right? Mephibosheth was deformed, okay? He had a, he had a physical deformity, which um, in that culture was shameful for a male to have a deformity, especially in the house of a king, because it meant that you were not fit to fight and you weren't fit to rule. Mephibosheth is the one that David refused, like everyone's like trying to hunt down Saul's heirs when David becomes king, thinking that they're gonna win favor by killing off all of Saul's heirs. And it says that David found pity on Mephibosheth and brought him into his table. That same word pity is the same word used here. There was a compassion on it. I just love that picture. God is zealous to provide mercy for our weakness. He is zealous to provide mercy for our weakness. The Lord will be zealous for land and pity his people. The Lord is zealous to answer our prayers through 
provision. He is zealous to provide for our need. He's providing a new supply. We see this in verse 19. The Lord will answer and say to his people, Behold, I will send you grain and new wine and oil, and you will be satisfied. Say the word satisfied. You'll be satisfied by them. See, part of his zeal is his compassion brings forth provision for our satisfaction. And again, I will no longer make you a reproach means that he's going to remove any shame that has been in your life. He's going to remove the shame that has been over your life because he has compassion for you. And he's zealous to get shame out of your life. Verse 20 is just a weird verse. You know, I'm going to remove the northern army and man, it's like, it's going to stink, right? (laughs) It's going to be a foul odor. Well, basically what that meant was that the annihilation of the enemy would be so severe that the, the ground would be so drenched with blood that it would smell of rotting flesh for decades. That's the picture he's giving. The enemy will be pushed back and so defeated that you will smell the stench of a defeated enemy for miles. Come on. So God's zealous to remove all shame and take the areas where the enemy has created shame in your life and make it a foul stench. Listen, when, when, the, when the enemy becomes a foul stench, everyone goes, ooh, I don't want that. So actually, the areas in your life where there has been shame, the Lord wants to make an example out of it so the world and the people around you never want to touch it. He's zealous and compassionate to remove shame. And what does he do with the areas that are shameful? He turns them into what? His glory. Whew. He turns the shameful things into his glory. I don't like sharing my testimony. He turns the shameful things into his glory. Point number two. The fruit of God's zeal is fruitfulness. Let me say that. Let me make sure I get this right. Fearlessness. The fruit of God's zeal results in fearlessness. When God's zeal hits a situation, it creates fearlessness. God is zealous for us to walk without fear. Shame keeps us in fear. God's zealous that we be fearless. What the Lord does in the land creates Provision, verse 21, fear not, O land, be glad and rejoice for the Lord has done marvelous things. Do not be afraid. <laughs> Do not be afraid. We know that, that clearly, you know, or where's Dennis? Dennis, I'm not so used to, okay, hey, Dennis. Uh, Dennis, you know, talked about this. But what's really interesting is that when the Lord creates provision for us in the land, 
is it creates worship. For the Lord has done marvelous things. We begin to marvel at the goodness of God. If we can begin to marvel at the goodness of God, we will slowly, if not very quickly, be removed from fear. Fear starts to be removed from our life when we worship. When God is on the throne, we'll marvel at the good things that he has done and we'll be removing fear from our lives. Because God is working with zeal, we know that there is no lack for needs. There is nothing to fear. And of course, we know Matthew 6, therefore, don't worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For after all these things, the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things, right? But then 633, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things shall be added unto you. See, we know that When God meets us in our need, he's providing for us, and that should cause a few things to happen for you. The first thing is that it should create joy and joyfulness. You should begin to rejoice because God is your provider. But as you rejoice, as you worship, it reminds you that you have nothing to fear. Rejoicing is a natural response to the removal of fear. This is where things thrive. Joy, we're talking about growth. Joy is the seedbed for a thriving community. Rejoice, O land. Rejoice, beasts of the field. Rejoice, rejoice. The Lord has done it. The Lord has done marvelous things. The Lord is producing for your need. Amen? All right, number three, God's divine order establishes abundance. Verse 23 and 24 says, Be glad then, you children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God, for he has given you the former rain faithfully, and he will cause the rain to come down for you, the former rain and the latter rain in the first month. The threshing floors shall be full of wheat, and the vats shall overflow with new wine, and oil. God's divine order establishes abundance. He is faithfully provided for growth. Look, the verses 18 through 21, like um, when I kind of look at this, I see those first two points, those first sets of verses is God establishing order. Listen, the order is he's the provider. God's divine order is dependence on him. His zeal for us creates order. What's happening here in this section is that God's reestablishing the seasons, right? When he talks about the former rain and the latter rain, you've got the fall rain and the spring rain, right? You've got these two different two different seasons where there's rain and the rain was needed, <laughs> right? They didn't have like great irrigation and well pumps and what we've got, it was dependent. We were dependent on the weather for agriculture, okay? So with that being said, 
The former rain and the latter rain were extremely, extremely important. The fall rain and the spring rain were extremely, extremely important because without it, nothing thrived. And, and I love how it says here that, let's see here, be glad, rejoice. He's given you the former rain faithfully. The former rain actually was right before winter. Right? It was the fall rain. And it was what would prepare the ground to head into a season of dormancy. Right? But then you needed the latter rain. You needed that spring rain for things to thrive, for things to grow. He says, look at my faithfulness with the former rain. I know it's winter. Look at, the, look at my faithfulness with the former rain because I'm coming with the latter rain. We can look at what God has done. We can look at his faithfulness and begin to go, okay, this is what God is going to do. Not just what he's done, but he's coming and he's going to do some things. The former rain is a sign of God's faithfulness. What's really interesting is that the former rain is right on, right near the day of atonement, seasonally. I just find it really interesting. Because the former rain is right around the Jewish New Year, Rosh Hashanah. But 10 days later is the Day of Atonement. And so this for, his faithfulness, I think there's something significant that the faithfulness of the former rain is right about the fact that in that same season is when he's atoning. He is paying the price for sin. The former rain, that we can, we can lean into the things, the former rain, just as much as we can lean into the cross. It's a season of atonement. God is taking atonement. And now, what's he gonna do? In the latter rain, he's gonna take those things that are paid for, those things that have been atoned for, those things that have been, been um, completely redeemed. And now he's going to bring, in the latter rain, he now lets it thrive. He lets it grow. He lets those things be dead and paid for. And in, this, in its place comes something beautiful. That's a good picture, isn't it? The former and the latter rain is extremely important. He will make it rain. He moves in his divine timing and he operates in seasons. He does. He established seasons for the earth. He's the one who established the seasons, look at Genesis 1.14. He establishes the seasons, days and months, and times and seasons. He established the former rain. He established winter. He established summer. He establishes the springtime. He is bringing divine order 
where it has felt barren, where we have felt like this has not been God's season, he's gonna bring it into divine order. And I'm saying this to many of you who have felt out of time. You have felt like you've been out of season, like things have not been in the place where you know that God wants them to be. We are gonna align that into some divine order into the season of God. This is why Joel, I think, was so important. And let me tell you what, God didn't give me that revelation till this morning. And I've been buried in this book. That's why I bury myself in a book, because every once in a while, something really nice percolates up. You know what I'm saying? His divine order at work creates abundance. His divine order at work creates abundance. His divine order at work creates abundance. How do we know? Well, verse 24, the threshing floors shall be full of wheat and the vats shall overflow with new wine and oil. Well, God's not just interested in pitying you for a baseline supply. His compassion for you is not just to provide for your need, but he wants to put his zeal is that things come into divine order. Because when things come into divine order, now there's an abundance. Now there's an overflow. Now it's not just that you've got enough to get by. Come on, we want to break poverty off the region? Divine order, divine order, divine order, divine order. You know, when divine order comes to Harvest Valley, we will see things move faster, more quickly, with greater abundance than we anticipate. I think we're there. But the reality is, is for each of us individually, God wants us to say yes to his divine order and the things that you have placed outside of his timing as a priority now, the things that are not in his timing, he's gonna ask you to repent. He's gonna ask you to say, hey, will you give me that back, please? I may have given that to you for a season. Now I need your seasons to align with mine. Whew. What's repentance? I'm gonna go back to the top. I'm gonna allow my low ways to stay down here and I'm gonna come up to his ways. Woo. I'm not gonna think that I'm so wise in my own eyes that I can pull it off in my own strength. Come on, go back and listen to last week's message from my amazing wife on wisdom. Wisdom in action. I love this picture in verse 24 that says that the, the threshing floors shall be full of wheat. It's hard to even thresh wheat when the threshing floor is full. It's hard to separate the, the, the actual grain from the chaff. It's hard when it's full of wheat. It's messy. There's so much abundance there, you know, people would come out just covered in it. God 
God wants the threshing floor full so that the overflow comes off on your clothes. New wine and new oil. The vats will overflow. I love the vats overflowing with new wine. Come on, that's the picture of the blood. That's the picture of redemption. Gosh, he's going to overflow redemption in the region when we put it in divine order. You know, the, the, the redemption piece is that people are able to now step into their destiny. They can actually align with destiny when, when redemption hits. Yeah, yeah, our region needs that, right? So the, the, the picture of the wine is, is really, I just, I just really feel like there's a redemption on the region that God wants to release here. And not just a little bit in little spots, little hot spots. No, he wants to flood the region with his blood. But the oil, the overflow of the oil is the overflow of God's Holy Spirit empowerment. See, the blood gets you in alignment with the destiny and the Spirit of God, the oil, empowers you and anoints you to fulfill it. It's not just that things get in alignment, but now we're up empowered to walk in it. And it's not just a little bit of anointing. It's the anointing that breaks the yoke. It's the anointing that puts us into a completely different path of redemption. The world will stare at Sandpoint and Bonner County to figure out what happened. You know what happened? Blood and oil happened. Blood and oil happened. Redemption, it got redeemed and empowered. Amen? Overflow is the beginning of revival. Many of us feel some overflow and we're like, we're in revival. No, overflow is the beginning of revival. It's the starting point. Overflow begins because of divine order. So, process would be, Mourn over the sin, repent, intercede in your repentance for the land that needs the blood of Jesus to wash it. And God says, okay, now you're gonna come into my season. I'm gonna begin to release because of your repentance, because I'm, we're working in partnership with him. As we maintain that posture of repentance, he begins to set things in his divine order. As he set things in divine order, you begin to see overflow. You begin to see the movement of the blood. You begin to see the movement of the oil. You begin to see that the threshing floor, which signifies the harvest, begins to grow. Now we're, now we're moving into revival. The next thing that comes is restoration of all that was lost and then revival breaks out. We're gonna talk about restoration next week. What What I believe God wants to do for us here today is set us into some divine order. We had some revelation a little while ago. If you guys would give me just a few more minutes, are we okay? Just give me a few more minutes. I believe that God wants to align 
align your time and your seasons. My friend Mark Crawford from Australia, uh, we uh, and Peter DeWitt, uh, we're in sight now. Uh, we've got a prophetic ministry that we um, have as a company that goes in and we, we help uh, consult with businesses and education. And um, we've had the privilege of working with businesses of all different types of backgrounds, um, um, helping them get breakthrough. And so um, being a prophetic company, um, the Lord began to give us some revelation in 2015 around aligning time. That, you know, like <clears throat> you ever, um, best, best visual I could give of aligning time is like, if you have a computer that starts moving slower and slower and slower, and then after a while, like if any of our, I know Elise can attest to the bookkeeping, um, QuickBooks on the old computer. Like it, when we bought it, it was like snappy, 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 fast, like boom, 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 boom. 10 years later, <laughs> wait, wait, wait. I'm like, huh, about four years ago, I'm like, I'm gonna put new RAM in it. I'm gonna upgrade it. I'm gonna double the RAM. I'm gonna clear off the hard drive. And what, 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 what happens is over time, things slow down and they get out of their proper time, right? So when things get out of time, things just don't fit. It takes too long or something like it's just that timing is off. Well, in Genesis 1.14, it says that God establishes the times, the dates, the months, and the seasons. And so the Lord was talking to me about aligning time. Align, we can align the time and we can align the seasons. God actually gave us a, a bit of a revelation around sitting down and taking time to actually align, realign time that all the areas. So what happens is that as you use up memory on your computer, it leaves an old space. So even if you delete stuff off of your computer, there's a space left for it, right? And it's what's called fragments, right? It becomes called fragments on the computer and all these fragments are still there. So it ends up taking a long time for a process to get done because it's actually got to go through all the fragments to find the actual right thing. That's why there's this little button on your computer in the settings that's called a defragment, right? I know, defrag my computer, it's running too slow. Well, we're gonna do that in the spirit and, and align time. Let me tell you what happened when we did this the first time around. Tim and Deborah were here for that. So Annalie was here, right? Charlene, you were here. Yep, John and Lois, Kevin and Mike, I think you guys were here for that. When, when we did this, within an hour, God started breaking things open in people's lives that have been locked up a long time. So you guys want to go there? All right. Will you stand with me? Hey, sweetie, can you do me a favor and just unplug my computer and bring it to me? from off of my desk, please. Thank you. All right, I'm gonna read you something from Genesis because we declare the word of the Lord. We declare the word of the Lord. In the creation story, it says, then God said, let there be lights in the firmament of the heavens to divide the day from the night and let them be for signs and seasons and for days and years and let them be for lights in the firmament of the heaven to give light on the earth. 
light, light, light has to do with time. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. You know, my wife really blessed me today with, with her just absolute servant's heart this morning. Thank you. She's like, okay, I, she saw me agitated. What do you need? How can I help? You know, she just was on it. Thanks, baby. We're going to align ourselves with God's created order. Okay? And in order to do that, um, what we are going to do, I'm going to read a passage out of Ephesians, and then we're going to make some declarations. Well, the declaration that we're going to make is, is that I will have the time and the what so that things can come together. I'm going to have the time and the what. Think about it. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, finding out what is acceptable to the Lord, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is as shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. But all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light. For whatever makes manifest is light. Therefore, he says, awake you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. We also will declare that you are awake and sober in this time. We declare that you are awake and sober. Therefore, let us not sleep as other do, but let us watch and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us that whatever we, when, whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. So we're going to declare that the day is day and the night is night. But this is his divine order, right? He created day and he created night. So we're just going to bring it back to his baseline. Okay, so say this with me. I declare that the day is day and the night is night over my heart. The day is day, and the night is night over my finances. The day is day, and the night is night. I walk as children of light, not of darkness. I am a child of light, not of darkness. We declare the day is day, and night is night. We align our rhythm with the rhythm of God. How God created it and how it is to be. Because the day is day and the night is night.
We declare over Sandpoint, Bonner County, Boundary County, and the whole of North Idaho that we will have the time and the what so that things can come together. I declare over my family, we will have the time and the what so that things can come together. <laughs> you know what I love about what the Lord does is he has us do weird things like that. To be like, oh, I'm gonna say the day is day and the night is night. When he does this, when he says, declare that the day is day and the night is night, you know what he's doing? He is giving you access to the season that you were meant for. So Father, we thank you and we praise you that you're setting us in the place where um, our seasons were meant for. Like, you're just putting us back into the place where the seasons make sense again. Father, we've heard your voice, and we know that you're working in powerful ways. So, Father, I ask in Jesus' name that you would align the times and the seasons for every person that hears this message. That there would be no longer an out-of-time feeling. But we would enter into the right time in this season. We declare that your zeal and your compassion for us is not just for our need, but for overflow. So I declare abundance over this house over this church, over your families. I declare abundance over you as your, as your seasons are aligned with God's season for your life. We will no longer, we will no longer elevate or make an idol of being impoverished. And we will no longer make an idol out of things not working out for us. We declare that we are in the right season at the right time according to your divine order. Thank you for joining us today. Harvest Valley Worship Center is called to be a refuge for healing and a launch pad for transformation. If this message impacted you today, please let us know in a comment or you can email us at media at hvwc.com. Thank you for joining us and we look forward to connecting with you.